I tell you what, there's probably one of the more difficult books in the Bible that is also one that has probably gaping holes in it, and it needs quite a bit of thinking to be able to plow through it. So not only do I want you to put on your prayerful hat, but I want you to put on your thinking cap this morning because you're going to be thinking through some of the things that I'm going to offer and suggest to you. The book is called Philemon. It's found in your Bibles right before you get to the book of Hebrews or right after Titus. It's the last book that Paul has written in that section of books, and it is powerful. In my studies, I found that the some of the people that argue against uh, Philemon and weren't real fond of it as being a part of the canon were people who felt that Paul was a little too private and that he was too simple and it was too short. So, I mean, right at the get-go, in the early days of the church fathers, there were folks who said, Philemon, what's important about that? Well, today I want you to see the importance we're going to preach and teach. I can't preach and I can't teach. Only he that is within me can preach and teach. Only the Holy Spirit can teach us all things and show us things to come. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father God, I thank you for an opportunity to be your servant this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you will anoint my mind and my heart, my ears to hear the Holy Spirit speaking, and my lips to speak what the heart of God is trying to communicate from the throne of God to the people of God. So this morning, bless your people. Father God, bless your people in a powerful way. In Christ's name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. When you read about Philemon, you read about the concept of a runaway slave. This is a powerful, powerful story. It's a rags-to-riches story, yet it's not rags-to-riches in the monetary sense. It's rags-to-riches in a spiritual sense. Most of the folks that write about Philemon write about the character Philemon, but there are other characters that are there that we should recognize this morning in our talk. One of the characters that is there is Timothy. So you see in the sequence of things later on in life, we're going to see that Paul, who started a great work in Ephesus and spent several years there in Ephesus and a great church was designed and grew from that great work at Ephesus, Timothy becomes the pastor later on. He's the pastor after John is sent to the Isle of Patmos and so he is the second pastor, and I think that's it's fair that the Holy Spirit mentions Timothy in the presence of Paul. Now, where is Paul? Paul's in prison. He is in prison, and he is in prison, and he's in Rome. He's prayed that God would send him to Rome. He's 
beg God to send him to Rome. Before he even leaves for Rome, he sends a letter to the Roman church. And the church at Rome knows all about the Pauline uh, thinking and writing and the revelation that only Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, received. He is the, uh, he is the apostle who came out with the concept and the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory. In his epistles, it's written over 130 times, in him, in you, in whom, and the concept within Christ is over and over repetitively taught by Paul in all kinds of different angles. He brings a revelation to the people at Rome, and he tells them in Romans 6, 6, For he that is dead is freed from sin. My. He also tells uh, folks in Corinth in his teaching there before he ever makes it to Jerusalem to go to Rome. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. So here we see. Here we've got a couple more folks if you've got. Hilda, if you want to pass out some material to our folk. So here we see Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, them communicating a message to a beloved saint that they'll call beloved. His name is Philemon, and it means kindness. Our beloved brother and fellow worker. Now, let me explain Philemon to you. He's an interesting character. He lives in a community that another book is written to, uh, the people there in that community. It's called Colossae. And he's written, he lives in that community of Colossae, and he has a house church. So you think cell groups and fellowship groups and home meetings or something new. Well, there aren't. They really go way back in time, and they started at the beginning of the church. And so your involvement in a cell group or a fellowship group or a home fellowship group is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. And so Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Alpha, our sister. Now, Alpha is his wife, Philemon's wife. Then they have a son whose name Archippus, and he is a fellow soldier, and we'll say later in history, we'll study by looking at the church fathers that Archippus becomes not only, he's not only the son of Philemon, but he becomes one of the pastors in the area, and most folks think that he pastored Laodicea, which is not too far from the city of Colossae. Interesting stuff, isn't it? So, He's talking to them and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that the powerful message of Jesus Christ brings with it grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, I thank my God always making mention of you. Here's the deal with Paul. If I'm ministering to you, I'm praying for you, I'm making mention of you, and I'm making mention of you on my knees before a high and mighty God who can supply and meet all your need according to his riches and glory. Amen? I thank my God always making mention of you, 
because I hear of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. I pray that the fellowship of your faith become effectual through the knowledge of everything which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, let's go back to verse 1 and just look at it for a second. He's writing this letter. You don't have to go back to it. You just think about it. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you, Tony. Um, he's writing this letter, and he's in the, Timoth- in the company of Timothy and himself at that particular day. Now, if I go all the way to the end of the book, when he signs off, when he gives the signature of the book, he's going to include other people. Ephraim, my fellow prisoner. Mark. Who is Mark? Well, that is Mark as in Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. And the reason, Paul, reason we see Mark here and see him in such a powerful way is because if you put all of this history together, you're going to see that this prison at the expense of the Roman Empire, was providing a council and a place of meeting and fellowship and of decision-making and of writing of the books of the Bible while Paul is in prison. Mark's there. It's likely that he wrote part of the Gospel of Mark while he was there. And he got that from the experiences he had from walking alongside Peter. Now, remember, Mark is the man who failed. So, Mark is a good example of you can fail in ministry and still succeed. Remember, he went on the first missionary journey with Paul, and he decided to leave halfway through the missionary journey. And on the second missionary journey, Paul said to Mark, I'll have none of this. You can't go. So, he was a failure in ministry. And somehow or another, he was taken under the under the arms, you might say, or the wings of Barnabas. And Barnabas, which means encouragement, encouraged Mark to the point that he spent a lot of time in fellowship with Peter and he learned about Peter and all the things that happened to him. I mean, imagine Peter telling you the story. I walked through the streets of Jerusalem and people believed so much in the Lord Jesus Christ. They felt if they had a point of contact, as soon as my shadow went across them, they were healed. Wow, have that conversation with you. So they had their own little council of elders, you might say, there in the prison of Rome, and this rotation of fellowship continued and continued and continued. If you study the history on each one of these guys, you'll find out in reading church fathers that they end up in some place of prominence with the exception of Demas, who seems to have gone astray in some way but maybe in a way that was astray to Paul, but not necessarily to the kingdom of God. God does things that way sometimes. Because I hear of your love, verse 5, and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effectual through the knowledge of every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through your brother. Your brother. Your brother. Now, I'm going to skip down and see if I can't find that one little piece of Scripture that talks about in verse 16. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially but to me, 
but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Brother, in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, I told you, Philemon was real short, and people complained about being real short. So put your thinking cap on and think about this. It's possible that Philemon had a slave whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus means useful, but to Philemon, he was not very useful. He stole from him, and he became a runaway slave. Under Roman law, if he had been caught, Philemon could have put this slave to death. There's also a possibility, a slim possibility, that this same brother really is his brother in the flesh. It was not uncommon in the culture of its time for a man who is in business to mess up and not make the margins and not make the mark and not be able to cut cut the... Uh, uh, business world and he loses his business or he finds himself in debt or he lost his job or he lost his vocation. It would not be uncommon for another physical brother, you taking your own brother and buying all of his debt and he becomes your slave. We can't hardly even fathom that in the world that we live in today. So there's a good possibility, not only is Onesimus a slave, but he's also probably the brother of Philemon. Because of these two scriptures and the powerful impact of them, it's possible that that could be. So again, I say, you've got to put on your thinking account, and you've got to look at this from the perspective of what if. So what if he was a slave? And what if he was a brother? And what if he got tired of the older brother telling him, well, you didn't do it right this time? And what if he got fed up with it? And what if he thought being a slave to my brother is the worst thing in the world? I'd I'd just soon face death and try to get away from this guy. Now, he's been in the fellowship house of his brother before, and he knows his brother's interest in the Lord, and he knows his brother's commitment to the Lord. And if Paul was in Ephesus and the surrounding area for three years, there's a good possibility that this man, Onesimus, who is called useful by the definition of his name, but called useless by his brother, and useless to Paul in his introduction to him, there's a good possibility, good possibility, that Onesimus was around the table sometime when Paul visited in the home church of Philemon. Now, isn't that interesting? Well, let's go a little bit further and we'll discover more. Therefore, though I have... Enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's paid the price. He's built this great church and this great uh, group of churches in the Asia Minor area. And he has Ephesus established. He has Colossae established. And he's spent lots of time at Corinth, and he's grown and grown and grown. I mean, the gospel of of Jesus Christ has grown through him so powerfully, it's just unbelievable. 
Where is he now? He's in bonds, bounds. He's in metal bounds or in a house. I don't, I don't think they kept him in stocks, so to speak, but they kept him in a, a house arrest situation, and he had freedom enough to write and to do those necessary things. He's old. He's got grayer hair than I've got. He's aged. He's a prisoner. Actually, in reality, he is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He has put a request in that gives him the authority as a Roman citizen to go before Caesar. And by doing that, he has become a prisoner of his own making. But he doesn't, in this word, call himself a prisoner of the Roman Empire. Who does he call himself a prisoner of? A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment and formerly was useless to you. There we see a play on words. Onesimus, useful, means useful, who is now useful both to you and to me, but he was formerly useless. Have you ever had somebody in your family that you just kind of wish they'd get their act together? Have you ever been that somebody? Have you ever been that runaway slave from the culture that you lived in? Have you ever rebelled against everything that was? Have you ever just said, I ain't doing it that way. I'm going to do it my way. I heard my granddaughter in our Christmas gathering just recently say, but I'm under her breath, but I'm going to do it my way. I thought, man, you're really young to be able to come up with those words out of your mouth. I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, she's not much different than her granddad. You know, he also has had those experiences in life where he was going to do it his way, and his way wasn't the right way. It was a painful way in the long run. I've sent him back to you in person. Now, this is important for you to get. Here is Onesimus. He is coming toe-to-toe with the former slave owner and possibly his brother Philemon, and he's got a letter in his hand, and the letter is the one that you and I are reading right now. I'm sending him back to you in person. Now, I want to pause there and ask you, how in the world is this man, Onesimus, who is considered useful by name but useless by character, how is he able to come back? Well, for one thing, all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose, correct? Wouldn't you agree? So Onesimus learned from Paul, he learned from Timothy, he learned from Mark, he learned from, guess what? Luke, the great writer of the Gospels, and Luke who wrote Acts. Luke who heard the message of in Christ. Luke who got the message of Paul. It was Luke in Acts 17, 28 that says, in him I live and move and have my being. It was Luke that got the message as well. So he's getting doctrine from Luke. He's getting doctrine from Mark. He's hearing from Articulus. He's hearing from Ephorus. And he's hearing from other fellow workers. 
Onesimus is being infused with the Word of God, and most of all, he's hearing from Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He is being radically discipled and changed right there before their eyes. He came in as a runaway slave. He came in with an attitude of, I can do it my way. And now he meets this guy who is in prison. It is Paul. And he's known this guy or known of this guy in some way or some form. And he submits to the message in his runaway stage. And he says, I want to hear what you got to say. And he becomes like I was when I first got saved and first got infiltrated with the power of the word of God from friends and others in our fellowship. I just soaked it up. And here you got Onesimus soaking it up. But according to the word of God, as soon as he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, he was a changed individual. He became a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away and behold, all things have become new. He's a new man, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes to the church at Rome before he even gets there. If he picks up and reads the letter, by the time he gets to where we are in chapter five, verse one of Romans, he realized he's justified by faith. He hasn't got to work his way to heaven. If he reads the Old Testament, he realizes Abraham didn't work his way for but to heaven. He became justified by faith because he believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ hung on that cross, on that old rugged tree. He was nailed in uh, to that tree in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and the blood trickled down him and the blood that that flowed from his veins was the blood of the life of the Son of God. He who knew no sin took our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Onesimus probably learned the content of the gospel of Mark. He probably learned the content of the gospel of Luke. He knew about Jesus and about his walkings throughout the earth. He knew about the history of Acts. Luke would have told him the message in Christ's message, for in him we live and move and have our being. Onesimus would have received the message of Paul since the letter was written prior to Paul actually going to prison. Then if Paul shares with him Romans chapter 10, verse 9, listen up, listen carefully, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So Onesimus hears those words and he says, all I got to do is believe in my heart. I can do that. But listen what the next verse says. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. And so he believes 
and it results in righteousness. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And then the rest of the verse says, resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. So this runaway useless slave is not useless anymore. He's a child of the king. John would say to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the son of God. Just like when you received him, you are a child. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Lord. You have been changed. There's nothing old living in your life anymore. Your nature doesn't want the old things. Your nature wants the new things. Your nature is the nature of God. Your nature is a nature of love. Your nature is a nature that wants to seek God's face. And when you do miss the mark, when you do make a mistake, when you do call it sin, you confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you. The forgiveness has already occurred at Calvary. The confession is necessary so you'll have a talkable, communicable relationship with the heavenly father on this earth and you can walk with him and talk with him and sing with him and praise him and worship him and live with him and go with him and be with him and have him and he can be your prince and he can be your king and he can be your God and you can worship him from the bottom of your heart with all your heart with all your mind and all your soul and he will teach you in that same nature to love your neighbor as yourself amen so he was justified by faith he's a changed man he's not the same guy who formerly was useless verse 11 to you but now is useful both to you and to me now by the time we get to the end of this story, you're going to be blown away with what happens to Onesimus. Remember, at this stage, Paul is only asking in letter form as an aged old man in prison in Rome, I just want you to forgive him. He ran away. That's all he's asking. I've sent him back to you in person Listen to Paul. I wish we could get a grasp of this. I sent him back in person, sending my very own heart. He loved Onesimus as a son. Whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment. But without your consent, in other words, hey, this is not the way the gospel works. We don't manipulate. You understand that? Manipulation means violation of your will. We're not in ministry to manipulate. We're in ministry for you to make choices just like you did when you chose Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Paul says, I send him back to you in person. That is my very heart whom I wish to keep with me so that on, behalf, on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but it'll be your own free will. 
And then Paul goes on to say, you know, this is probably why it happened in the first place. If you think about it, and perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you. Had to be a reason. Had to be more than what he stole to get out of town. Had to be more than all the frustration he was going through. Loss, if he had lost a business, if he, that was the case. If he was the brother of a brother in flesh, that had to be terribly t- tough to become the slave because of your indebtedness. But perhaps he was, for this very reason from you, separated for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer a slave. Listen to this. No longer a slave, but a beloved brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice to have your brother back as a brother? Wouldn't it be nice to have him back as a brother? I mean, not only your Christian brother, but your brother in the flesh to have him back as a brother and you both be Christian brothers. And all the differences be ironed out. All the reconciliation be made. If then you regard me as a partner. What a challenge. Listen to this. Philemon, if you regard Paul as a partner, accept him as you would me. Philemon, Except Onesimus, who was once useless to you, now useful to me and you, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, Philemon, charge it to my account. Well, naturally, he stole something from him, and he's got lost time and wages because the guy's gone, and he's not serving him, so he's not making anything out of this. So, yes, there was another debt piling up every day. And Paul says, if he has wronged you in any way and owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. 2,000 years ago, a man hung on this tree like this, a tree like this, an old rugged cross. And you one day came along and said, I believe this is real. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe he is the Son of God. And you ask him into your heart. And you became a child of the King to as many as receive him. To them he gives the right to become the sons of God. He turns to his Father. You make mistakes. You get better in your behavior as you grow older and more mature in the Lord. But you sin along the way even though you are a saint who sometimes sins. 
And Jesus, the one who hung on that tree, turns to his heavenly Father and he says these same words. Accept him as you would me. And if he's done anything, if she's done anything, as a runaway slave, as a new child of the king, I want you to charge that to my account. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me everything, even your very own self. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare lodging for me. Changes the subject. For I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. And then he makes mention of all those that are with him. Ephraim, Mark, Artitius, Demas, Luke. And then he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. I want to ask you when you hear this message, how is Christ glorified? Isn't he glorified when he looks out upon this congregation and he sees every one of us as runaway slaves? He sees every one of us in ourselves, in our own selfish ambition as useless. But he sees the possibility of all of us becoming sons of God and useful for him. How powerful is that? Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. God has promised to supply all of our need according to his riches and glory. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Onesimus began to learn these things. He learned that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He learned that his old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. He learned to consider himself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. He learned that Christ redeems us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus became my curse. Jesus became my shame. Jesus became my condemnation. Jesus became my guilt. Jesus became my sin. Jesus became your sin. Jesus received on himself the sin of the world. Therefore, he could only by receiving the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life when he took on himself the sin of the world, 
he was dead. My old nature is crucified with him. My old nature is dead with him. My old nature is buried with him. And my new nature is raised with him. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All these things Onesimus learned. And what do you think happened to Onesimus? That's why some people really have a problem with Philemon. They don't know. It is assumed that everybody knew the story. And if you looked at the time and you looked at the messages of the time, you would think, well, it's only right that he would write it that way because they were teaching that the coming of the Lord was soon and they were thinking it was going to happen real soon and next week was going to be the week that it happened. Everything was imminent. It was going to happen. And those that were dead in Christ were going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. And we're going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, one three hundred thousandths of a second, we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, changed into a body, fulfilled to the righteous man that we are. Not only changed in spirit and soul, but changed physically. We will have a body, as John said, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So no wonder the book of Philemon is so uh, limited in what it tells us about Onesimus. But I did a little research, and I wanted to bring you some fine word from the Antisean Fathers, Volume 1, in a letter that Ignatius, a great church father, wrote. He said, I have become acquainted with your name, talking to the church at Ephesus. He said, you're beloved in God, and you acquire the habit of righteousness. I've looked, and according to the faith and love in Jesus Christ, our Savior, being the followers of God and stirring up yourselves by the blood of God, you have perfectly accomplished the work which was beseeming to you. Then later on in that message, he says, I receive, therefore, your whole multitude, speaking of the church at Ephesus, in the name of God, through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him and blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. Onesimus goes with a letter in his hand, gives the letter to Paul, I mean to Philemon. Philemon opens the letter, reads the letter, tears dripping down his cheek. Receive him as you would receive me. If he's done anything wrong, charge it to my account. I will pay. It's obvious that Philemon forgave him 
it's obvious he walked in forgiveness. And with the strength of what he had learned from Mark and Luke and Paul and his teachings and the fellowship and the impact of the word of God, he was a mighty man of God to the point that Ignatius can write later on, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love, Onesimus. Can you imagine from a slave to a bishop? And who is the, he the bishop for? Did I not in the first part of the sermon say to you, there's a church called Ephesus that Paul spent three years with and that John pastored and he was sent to the Isle of Patmos and Timothy who is with him in prison right now is going to end up being the following pastor and after Timothy, guess who the pastor and bishop of Ephesus is? Onesimus. Oh, useless one. Became useful because he that is within you is greater than he that is of the world.